Welcome to the panel discussion, The Artificial Intelligence Playbook for Government, sponsored by DataRobot. Here's today's moderator, Jason Miller. Welcome to the panel. My guests today are Sean Zerges, the Division Chief for Digital Services and Solution Strategy at the General Services Administration. Dr. Gil Altrovitz, the Director of Artificial Intelligence at the Department of Veterans Affairs. Rear Admiral David Hahn, the Chief of Naval Research at the Department of the Navy. And Eric Forsetter, the General Manager for Public Sector at DataRobot. Gentlemen, thank you for coming and, and welcome to the discussion. Before we get started, let me set some context for our discussion. Just over a year ago, President Donald Trump signed an executive order calling for the U.S. to maintain its leadership in artificial intelligence. That order launched the American AI Initiative to promote and protect AI technology and innovation. Among the things the directive requires is the implementation of a government-wide strategy around collaboration, engagement with the private sector, academia, the public, and international partners. On the federal agency side, OMB and the General Services Administration led the creation of an AI community of practice to help agencies more fully take advantage of today's and tomorrow's AI machine learning technologies. The community of practice, which kicked off in November, is now 400 members strong from 26 different agencies. Among the big goals of the community of practice is to create a searchable use case repository that would give agencies a playbook of examples where agencies can have successfully deployed AI for customer experience, human resources, advanced cybersecurity, and business processes. This type of help can't come soon enough as civilian agencies are, ex are expected to spend more than a billion dollars on AI, AI programs over the next year, ranging from the Department of Agriculture using these technologies for food research to the Energy Department applying AI internally through its new AI and technology office. The Defense Department, meanwhile, is asking for more than $106 billion in research and development in fiscal 2021, and AI will be a major focus. So how can agencies create a successful AI roadmap? What does it take to drive decisions using AI machine learning? And what does it take to launch AI projects with true benefits? Well, those are just some of the questions our panelists will answer today. Once again, our panelists are Sean Zerges, the Division Chief for Digital Services and Solution Strategy at the General Services Administration. Dr. Gil Altrovitz, the Director of Artificial Intelligence at the Department of Veterans Affairs. Rear Admiral David Hahn, the Chief of Naval Research at the Department of the Navy. And Eric Forsetter, the General Manager for Public Sector at DataRobot. Sean, let me start with you in terms of AI. GSA is right in the middle of, of AI, both leading <laughs> the community of practice, but you guys have a lot of internal stuff going on as well, really taking advantage of artificial intelligence. What is GSA's AI strategy? How does it kind of fit into the bigger discussion? Sure, so uh, first off, we're excited, right? A new technology excites IT people. It's what we live for. Um, AI ML is, uh, while it's a new platform, new technology, new services, new solutions, adopting new technology is not something that's new to GSA, right? Uh, we've we've ex tried to be the leader in these areas uh, for several years now. Um, first, of course, we want to stage the environment, make sure it's ripe for that adoption. Uh, we look at our uh, existing workforce, make sure that our folks um, that either have the talent, we're, we're leveraging them uh, to kind of jump in and help spirit some of these initiatives, and we're looking at the folks that want to be involved. Um, that overall workforce development concept where we're providing those training tools that are available, um, rapidly spinning up those uh, those pilots where folks are interested. Um, additionally, uh, on the back side of that, right, all IT requires some level of governance, some change management processes. Uh, the key component of making the environment conducive towards moving uh, to an AI ML uh, adoption model is ensuring that our change management processes, um, the folks supporting those are all high speed, low drag. Uh, we don't want to create any barriers that are unnecessary. I like that, high speed, low drag. Um, let's talk a little bit about that environment a little bit. When you talk about get, getting this in set up, are you talking about like the network per se, or are you talking about the environment because it includes governance, includes workforce, it includes all those pieces? Absolutely, so we could clean up our data, for example, uh, spend months doing data cleansing on, on three or four core systems that we want to implement AI ML for. If we don't have the development pipeline to ultimately transition some of the fundamental tasks within that code, then we're gonna hit a roadblock, right? We'll run really fast for three months and then we'll hit a dead stop. So the teams, those COEs and COPs you references, those folks are the ones out there building those playbooks and those guides to facilitate business owner, data owners, the change management folks, all working towards a common goal. Uh, Dr. Gill, I just was on a panel, uh, I would say, uh, a couple months ago with some of your folks at VA, and, and this idea of AI came up, and there's a lot of excitement across VA. Talk about your strategy. Right, so uh, there's a number of uh, pieces that we're uh, building in terms of a strategy on AI, and 
Uh, it, uh, it all builds on uh, some of the work that's uh, been done already through, as you mentioned, um, the, uh, the, the, the White House uh, AI uh, initiative, American AI initiative, um, and a number of plans that were built from that. Uh, so we're now looking at creating uh, plans that are specific to uh, the work across uh, within the VA, uh, including recently the announcement of the, uh, of the VA's uh, National Artificial Intelligence Institute, uh, which uh, started uh, this past year. And it is uh, bringing together a number of different stakeholders and offices um, across uh, the agency uh, in part to help construct uh, such a plan uh, with a special focus on the health and well-being of the veterans. The National AI Institute within VA, that's a, is that something that is going to do what for VA? The goal is because is, it's part of the bigger strategy, I imagine. Right, right. So uh, the idea with the National Artificial Intelligence Institute is to build that uh, artificial intelligence research and development capacity uh, so that uh, we can uh, work toward the mission of the veterans by being able to engage with uh, industry and other partners, uh, having that capacity to work with that data um, and working uh, with outside partners to uh, help in the mission. Rear Admiral Han, the, the one thing about the Navy is there's a huge amount of data, huge amount of opportunity to really use, to take advantage of some of these tools. Walk me through how are you, where are you guys today and, and what's tomorrow look like? So great question and thanks for having us by the way. Uh, there are um, a number of underlying tenets to the Navy and Marine Corps' approach to implementing uh, artificial intelligence at scale. The first is that we do believe that we're in a competition here, right? So this is a competitive environment, uh, specifically with China, who has, uh, who has openly stated that they want to dominate the world's, uh, the world's uh, data and be the leader in artificial intelligence. So that's a, that's a challenge that we're up to, and so time matters in this uh, implementation of artificial intelligence. Some of the other underlying tenets. I think uh, um, that, that uh, AI and ML tools largely will be democratized. So, so although today uh, it takes a special set of skills, uh, a lot of PhDs, uh, uh, you know, people who have a deep understanding of, uh, of AI and ML and the various other, other lanes that you can run in in artificial intelligence, um, as those tools get more democratized, then more and more people can apply them. And so when you look at a, an outfit like the Navy and Marine Corps, we're a very technical force, and, and largely our capability comes through implementation of software. And when, when we look at that, and you look at where artificial intelligence is, where processing is, uh, we have a huge opportunity here, and there's great potential, but only if we can get our, our act together, if you will, and get to, the, get to the situation where we can apply artificial intelligence at scale. So what's that mean for us? It means that we, not, we need to start thinking about continuous integration and continuous delivery of software. Uh, and in a way that, that would support the various things the Navy and Marine Corps do, all the way from the business end, um, all the way out to warfighting. And that spectrum of application is very, very different um, and the data sets that are involved there, the nature of the adversarial competition, what somebody might try to do to your data as it's generated through a sensor system, for example, that's a huge challenge. Um, dirty data is one thing, and, and I, I associate myself with Sean's remarks on that. That's a huge, that's a huge problem. But now let's think about it where somebody's trying to mess with your data. Uh, so you gotta work your way through that. So artificial intelligence has, has lots of opportunity. Uh, we're on a journey to understand it, to raise our overall AI literacy, if you will, across the Navy and Marine Corps, uh, and do that by, um, by learning how we're going to do things by doing them, right? So we're going to practice, we're going to learn, and we're going to see where it fits the best. So we've got a number of efforts going on inside the Navy and Marine Corps, and I look forward to talking about those throughout the rest of this conversation. We know that the Defense Department at large implemented something called the Jake Joint Artificial Intelligence Center. We know that the, just recently, in the last couple of months, there's been the AI principles that have been put out by DOD. How does that kind of flow down, those efforts flow down into the Navy? Do you have your own AI center? Are you piggybacking on the Jake? Give me a yeah. sense. So, so we and the other services are tightly bound to the Joint Artificial Intelligence Center. 
and we recognize that we're all going to sort of walk together uh, on this path. A lot of learning going on across, uh, across DOD and in each of the services. And at the end of the day, uh, the services are the ones that man, train, and equip, right? So we deliver the capability to the force commanders out in the field, and, and that, that artificial intelligence is inherent to that capability set. So the, the Jake I look at, and, uh, and General Shanahan and I have had several conversations about, about how the Jake and the services fit together. Uh, the Jake is a coordinator. Uh, they allow for collaboration. They can do some of the heavy lifting uh, that, uh, that maybe the services can't do. And, uh, and we are tightly connected. So it's a great question, and thanks. All right. Eric, let's uh, bring in uh, your perspective as you were, as you, not just what you heard from the panel, but as you talk to other uh, federal customers and clients. Walk me through what are some of the trends you're seeing around AI, AI strategy. Absolutely. Thank you again for having us, Jason. Really appreciate it. Um, now just to echo a couple of things that the uh, Rear Admiral was saying, um, you know, customers are coming to us today, and you know, especially on the DOD side, they're saying, how do we compete with China? They're ahead of us you know, in this race, and it's a marathon, not a sprint. So they've sprinted out ahead, but how do we catch them, right? How do we look at that uh, from that perspective? But on the same token, you know, so on the civilian side, um, and it's no different there, um, they're looking for trusted AI. They're looking for AI that's transparent because they want to explain it to the not to their customer, which is the civilians of the United States. And so they want to understand all that, but then they need to put it under governance because data changes, data drifts, and we could create a model today um, to help uh, you know with imports or exports or something like that. But that model may shift over time. So we want to make sure that we have good governance over those things. The other thing that they're looking for is a partner. Uh, almost everybody who comes to us, um, they talk about, similar to what uh, the, the Admiral said, is how do we, d we democratize data science, but then how do we create the right roadmap? And when we talk about a roadmap, it's not just about, hey, these are the 50 or 500 or 5,000 things that we could do with AI, but which ones are most important to us today? Which ones are high value but low impact in terms of timing? Which ones do we have the data right for? And the data is never going to be perfect, and that's one of the things that we work with them on is that, hey, it won't be perfect, and when you use software that can automate your machine learning, then you can enable people that are your mission critical staff, but not necessarily data scientists. So they might be analysts or business analysts within an agency, uh, it, or it could be you know anyone uh, in the service who's just you know on the front lines, but needs to know that information and work with it. So it's exciting when you th hear about these things, um, but at the end of the day, we, we have to train that. And so they come to us and we do a lot of training efforts with not just their data scientists, but with the entire organization so that the, their staff within any agency, whether it's DOD, IC, or civilian, um, can become a uh, citizen data scientist, right? And we can democratize the workforce. Because if you think about it today, the number of use cases for data science within the government is exponentially greater than the amount of data scientists out there and even the amount of people that are out there in the world. So we have to automate many of these tasks, otherwise we'll never catch up. One of the things that comes to mind as you talk about the different pieces to this, and, and I'm gonna, the others to weigh in in a second, but the governance issue, it's come up a couple times. Sure. Is that the starting point for a lot of agencies? If they're developing a strategy, they have some potential pilots, but first, okay, how does that work? Because you also talked about trust and transparency, sure. which will come from that governance piece. Yeah, that's a good question. I don't think governance is the, is the first point, but it's not the end point either. You want to have governance throughout the whole process. The first point really is identifying the right use case. And one of the things that we do really well is we create these use case workshops. We do uh, something we call data robot for executives as well as for just end users to understand what's a good use case. Is a good use case figuring out logistics? Uh, is it figuring out how many hospital beds we need to staff up at the VA or how to, you know, how a drug that's coming into um, the market, how that may test or which labs are more or less likely to have a problem? So it's figuring out what these use cases are, what the data is behind them, right? And then once you have that, it's putting them through different models and then putting the governance around that. But at the same token, you have to have transparency so that you understand um, what different features impact your model. So if we're looking at, uh, as an example, how to staff a hospital uh, and how many beds we should have versus how many nurses versus how many doctors, we want to understand the different factors that do it so that we don't put a nurse you know, into a hospital for 120 hours a week because the model was somehow shifted the wrong way or incorrectly. Um, so that part, really the transparency, is very important, understanding feature impact and what different features uh, may or may not change what your model is doing. 
with that in mind, then you have the governance that goes around it. And once the model's in production, then we can go back and look and say, hey, we're giving some great results here. We do some work actually uh, at one of the energy labs around cancer research, uh, and we've increased their, uh, their, their findings uh, in terms of accuracy. But it's important to understand, like, as they get new data and new data sets into there, how does that change the model and there's governance around it? Jason, can I jump in on that real please, quick? Please, please. I, I think that governance piece is, is important. Um, our experience to date has been to, uh, to follow the principle that let the, f let the form follow the function, right? So we're figuring out the function, where does AI apply um, in that broad spectrum of things that we asked the Navy and Marine Corps to do. And our chief of naval operations about a year and a half ago challenged us to come up with a series of pilots, and we ended up with about 17 of these things. Um, in and amongst, and those 17 were the result of uh, lots of conversation and lots of curation of problems and doing triage to figure out where do we have the data sets? Uh, where do we have a mission, impact that's, a mission impact that's worth doing? And then do we have, the, do we have a tool set that we could apply to this in, you know, in my lifetime to get a product out, out of the end? Um, so that's, that's been, a, for us, at least a wonderful uh, way to look through this, um, again, across that broad spectrum of things that we could go do and, and learn. So until we get through that, we're not going to put a governance um, uh, form in place because it would probably be wrong. Eric, real quick. Yeah, so real quick, just on the governance piece, one of the other things that, that our customers are coming to us, they'll say, we already have 10 models in place. They're doing X, Y, Z, but we don't have any governance today. Can you help us there? And that's something else that we look at is, let's look at your existing model. Maybe it was made by a data scientist 15 years ago, and it's working, but is it out of scope? You know, have we changed it? And th those are areas where we can help them as well and put you know, existing models into governance or under governance and also compete them versus new ones that you know, maybe the logistics model they have in place was great in 2005, but now in 2020, we need to change it or update it or, or correct some pieces to it as well. All right, we're gonna take a quick break and come back and continue our conversation. You're listening to the discussion, the Artificial Intelligence Playbook for Government, sponsored by Data Robot on Federal News Network. The intelligence revolution is here. Is your agency ready? Transform with the leader in enterprise artificial intelligence, Data Robot. Data Robot delivers trusted AI technology and enablement around the globe. Data Robot makes AI for everyone a reality through end-to-end -end automation for building, deploying, and managing machine learning models without the need for code. Let Data Robot help you unlock the enormous potential of AI to help your agency speed up response times and take decisive action. Learn more at datarobot.com. That's datarobot.com. Welcome back. You're listening to the Artificial Intelligence Playbook for Government, sponsored by Data Robot on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guests today are Sean Zurgis, the Division Chief for Digital Services and Solutions Strategy at the General Services Administration, Dr. Gil Altrovitz, the Director of Artificial Intelligence at the Department of Veterans Affairs, Rear Admiral David Hahn, the Chief of Naval Research at the Department of Navy, and Eric Forsetter, the General Manager for Public Sector at Data Robot. Before break, we were talking about this idea of governance, but before governance you had to have models and you had to have use cases. And there's some terms here that I think would help to define what they are so our audience kind of has a level set. So Eric, maybe since you were the one kind of talking a little bit about what these pieces and parts are, well, help me define use case model and the like. Sure, thank you Jason, appreciate that. Um, so when we think about a use case, uh, a use case could be something like predictive maintenance or it could be something like fraud. But if you say fraud in the government, there's so many different pieces where you could find fraud. Um, so what you would do is then go to an agency or within the agency and figure out, hey, maybe we want to stop uh, transaction fraud or you know, bad uh, purchase order fraud, something like that. We would then take all the data, run it through a different set of models, potentially. Uh, in the case of us, we'd run it through hundreds of different models. Um, and from there, we would predict or we'd be able to pick a model that's the most accurate to predict which purchase order coming into the government was a fraudulent one versus which one is actually a, a, a uh, accurate uh, purchase order. So when you think about a model, a model is something where there's code behind it, right, that is predicting something for a use case and that you put it then into some type of production, whether it's uh, an end user looking at it to say, yes, this is a fraudulent purchase order or no, it's not. Or it could be uh, something where an application actually just automatically tells it to you. Um, the trick with any of these models is you want to put them under governance because 
over time, the data that you get is going to change. So today, you know, maybe we've gotten two million purchase orders and we know 100,000 of them were fraudulent, so we can predict future fraud on that 100,000. Unfortunately, the data will change over time. Like fraudsters will get better and will change the type of fraud that they have, so we'll have to change our model. And that's why we need governance over it. The same would apply for predictive maintenance. If you were you know, fixing submarines in the Navy, we may fix uh, an engine at one point, but there may be something that goes wrong with the rudder that would have to change our model as well. So hopefully that gives you a good understanding of what we're looking at. It, it does. It also helps us level set when we, we talk through this, because I'm thinking of a model as a strategy or, or something, but it's almost a piece of, it sounds like a piece of software, the underlying right. software. That's we also talked about use cases, so I'm going to go down that path a little bit. Uh, let me come back around to Sean. GSA has probably several use cases. I've, I've talked to your CFO several times, and, and he's talked about a few using RPA, but that's not necessarily AI. So walk me through some of the things you guys are thinking about or starting to do around AI. Absolutely. So we've got some, some uh, efforts going both internally and externally. And for GSA, right, that's internal to GSAIT. Uh, how we can operate more efficiently, where we can find some of the value in implementing AI and what were traditional processes, procedures, automation or orchestration. Um, I think orchestration is the best way to put the way we used to try to accomplish tasks. Um, so looking internally, for example, uh, an easy one that everybody tries to run at real quick is virtual bots, right? There's plenty of vendors selling them, plenty of briefings out there. Um, cut down on the number of pro services hours you're using, uh, answering questions, um, put the tool right where the customer is, you know, all that, all that user experience uh, improvement approach. Uh, one of the challenges that we found, of course, is that the backend data supporting that, there's a lot of human logic in there. Um, it's reference material combined with human logic results in some answer that a customer is seeking. Uh, whether it be a trouble ticket, whether it be a, a vendor inquiry about types of contracts that are available to them, that sort of thing. Um, the biggest challenge we're finding in those kind of use cases is the data cleansing, which I'm sure we'll get around to. Um, but that use case is a very re repetitive use case within GSA because there's constantly that customer agent interaction at all different layers, internally and externally. So we're, we're constantly looking at those, those pilots and use cases. Um, internal to GSA, uh, one, uh, one issue or one use case that I think all security teams struggle with is keeping up with the threats, right? We're getting hit from, from every possible vector 24 hours a day, Christmas, New Year's, everything, using AI and ML to assess all that incoming data that's either getting dropped in a Splunk or whatever, whatever the repo of choice is, um, looking at that data as it streams in, doing that analysis and either uh, orchestrating an action on the back end um, that otherwise would have taken a uh, human a little bit more time to do, say an hour or two to assess, look at all the criteria, pull up to two or three different systems that are feeding that data in, it's looking at it based on known criteria, learned formulas from data, you know, that we fed into algorithms and we learned, and then popping out that result almost instantaneously, near real time. That's aside, obviously, from being a pro service to save, because we're spending less time on security engineers to accomplish that work, but we're being more reactive and we're staying ahead. So if we're, if we're looking at state powers, as the Admiral mentioned, right, we have state, states attacking the U.S., we need to move faster and we don't have an army of security engineers out there. There's not 100,000 security engineers in the government, but AIML is a force multiplier for us. It's properly configured and governed, of course. <laughs> of course. Sure. Uh, Gil, VA has 101 use cases probably. Are you guys into the pilot stage yet? Yeah, so at the VA, uh, we've got a number of use cases that are uh, being developed, and they're at different uh, stages, so some being piloted, some um, in production, some kind of being uh, designed. Uh, so we, we're seeing things, everything from uh, automation of uh, form processing for benefits, uh, which uh, we're seeing out there. We're, we're also seeing uh, different areas in terms of, um, for example, uh, diagnostics, uh, prognostic uh, information. Um, we had an example uh, that was recently developed from research and uh, uh, that looks at around uh, different areas, for example, predicting uh, uh, cancer from different uh, pathology slides. Um, examples uh, in medicine where you can uh, predict, for example, acute uh, kidney injury uh, a couple days ahead of time, uh, so thereby preventing uh, the kidney damage from occurring in the first place. Um, so we're seeing it across the VA. How do you guys prioritize? Because I'm sure that the green field is 
as long as it is wide. And the Admiral's laughing, so that's your, that's your question too, so be prepared. <laughs> yes, yeah, that's a great question. So um, one of the things, so as an example, you know, in the, the National Artificial Intelligence Institute, we, we um, have a number of use cases that then we present to different stakeholders. Uh, we, that includes uh, veterans, that includes uh, different offices within uh, the uh, VA, and uh, as well as uh, analyzing uh, the costs, the um, and the kind of the risk benefit uh, of each of the use cases. So that's uh, one path. Um, in terms of uh, research and other paths, there are peer-reviewed um, elements toward uh, research grants that are uh, submitted, uh, and uh, same thing with uh, in innovative types of approaches. There are uh, these review processes uh, to go for uh, different use cases. I can, I can just imagine your your desk is piled of, of of requests and use cases and interests, just because it's one of those hot topics right now, without a doubt. Yes, yeah, it's <laughs> definitely a hot topic. Uh, David, talk a little about the Navy. You mentioned you had, I think, seventeen pilots. So imagine you could probably have one hundred and seventeen or a thousand and seventeen. Uh, we, we could uh, again a green field, right? So we could we could go in a lot of a lot of different directions uh, and a lot of different uh, projects. Uh, but to double tap some of the conversation we've been having uh, here at the table, cool. uh, we face a we face a special challenge, I think, or a little bit of a different challenge because, as in the case of uh, predictive maintenance, which we have some pilots that are moving through, uh, getting more uptime on jets, for example, in our naval aviation enterprise, great results there. Um, we can see both the front end of that problem set and the back end result, right? So that way, this governance of models that we talked about, you can see how they're doing and you can adjust, um, you can adjust as you need to to continue to be effective or be more effective. One of our challenges uh, that is unique to, unique to us, I think, is, the, uh, is this notion that we're going to be operating at machine speed, just like Sean talked about, right, with all this stuff in, inbound to, to all of our enterprises. Uh, but we're going to be doing that in a way where we can't instrument the back end. So we don't understand exactly what it's going to be like when that missile's coming at us, right? So is my, is my sensor system, which is pro, which is, which has got hundreds of gigabit per second, right? Coming in today, and it'll be more in the future. Um, we're very data rich and target poor as we look at the data sets we have to go figure out, is the model right? And then is the model, can, does it continue to be right as we move across time? So that's one of our special challenges. And, and each, of the, each one of these use cases and pilots that I brought up are teasing out pieces and parts of those. And we arrived at the, at the conclusion that they would be a value-add projects through that process I talked about earlier. We, we spent some time curating the problem so it was narrow enough that we could, we could understand it and, and do something about it. Uh, then we triaged the set of tools that were readily available to us, so we knew we had one that could apply in that area. And then we looked at what's the, what's the lift, right? And is the data good enough to apply that tool today to get at some kind of results uh, again in the near term? So, so that's been our process. Um, it's, uh, we continue to modify that as we move through time. It's been successful to date. We'll see as we go forward. All right, Eric, jump in. Yeah, so one thing just to add on what the Admiral was saying and also what, uh, what Sean was saying is um, when you look at this, you have to come up with a success plan, and it's really, really important. We, you know, we're fortunate at Data Robot. We have 300 of the top data scientists in the world who've won things from Kaggle competitions, which is a survival of the fittest, who's the best you know, data scientist um, uh, in, for, for a given set. Um, and what we do is we've been enabling these agencies and helping them to better understand which problems can they solve quickly, right? And which are going to give them a high impact, you know, good value right away. Um, but it's also figuring out like which ones have known outcomes, which ones are maybe doing anomaly detections, like uh, in the cyber case where we know certain things are happening and then there's other things we don't know about as well. And we're, we're working with some great agencies, you know, from the cyber perspective as well. But I think the big thing is, you know, back to the Admiral's point, is you really have to go down and define these and figure out which ones you know, are going to give us the right impact, but which one do we have data ready today that we can do? Because they make mission critical things. Like if a missile is coming at you, you want to make sure that model is working. And even, you know, for the VA, you know, you, you know, if you have a patient uh, in the hospital, we want to make sure we're making a decision that impacts life or death with as much accuracy as possible. 
That, that data piece, I think, is key, and I think it's, it's a great segue. Sean, walk me through a little bit about how GSA is looking at your data. Are there steps you're taking to say, what is the 80% solution? Because 100%, I don't think, is possible ever. Absolutely, so um, stick to with what you can attain, right? And, and going back to targeting use cases, right? Part of targeting those use cases are uh, looking at where the environment is more suited uh, or best suited to move towards AIML. And part of that is data, and I don't, I don't think we call it generally data scrubbing anymore. I think that scares people. Um, unfortunately, that may be a little bit more indicative to the level of effort, right? Because we're leaning heavily on our data stewards to go back and, and clean up their data in such in such a way that it can be consumed by an ML al algorithm, um, so to speak. But on the plus side, right, we've been doing this for a while. Data analytics and tools um, uh, in GSA, D2D, data to decisions, those kind of efforts have been in place for a decade plus now. So. We're not, we're not just now starting to move towards there. Thankfully, that effort, aligning those resources, uh, training those data scientists, uh, creating the guidebooks and playbooks for data stewards to kind of move in that direction already, that's already in place and we have that momentum, which is terrific for AIML. Um, part of targeting which use cases best align, obviously a big factor is how's your data look? And right. you know, Chatbot was a perfect one. We sat with business, we looked back, we looked at the data they had, just wasn't suitable. Um, we looked at the level of effort, that's gonna get kicked to the right a little bit. Um, another use case, uh, data cleansing specific, is our end user licensing agreement. This is a use case that replicates across the board in multiple different deliverable types and artifacts that the government has to process and work with industry for. We need to look at uh, a document, a PDF or whatnot, determine if the contents of it comply with some regulatory guidance, whether it be 501, 508 compliance or similar. Um, these tools are capable of doing that, but the data we use for the initial learning either doesn't exist or it's not cleaned up well enough. So that's that's a huge effort. Um, we're absolutely not trying to do this in a waterfall method. We're not, we're not stopping all pilots and prototypes until people clean up their data, right? It's part of that which, um, it's a target-rich environment, I think somebody mentioned, which is absolutely true. There's lots of potential use cases in all these agencies. So we're, we want to focus on which ones we can be successful at first. And, and Gil, in many ways, when you have a pilot or a use case and the data is not so clean, people get really motivated to clean it because they, they start to see that potential. Oh, well, what if we got that data right? Look what we can do. Are you, are you guys, because VA, again, tons of data. Right, right, so that's there's a lot uh, in that. Um, so we're looking at a couple of different innovative ways to um, look at the data sets and, um, and learn from uh, the different potential partners as well. So for example, uh, a few months ago, we uh, had the AI Tech Sprint, uh, which uh, in which we put together some um, small data sets that were a little bit more um, open, and uh, it, we're able to work with a number of different um, organizations that um, together uh, analyzed uh, that data for tools that they were building, and <clears throat> sorry, um, and in doing so, uh, they were able to find. Uh, not only and create new tools, but uh, they were able to give us feedback on those data sets. And that's what was really interesting in that because for different use cases, uh, you need different types of data. You have to have it be basically AI-able data, suitable for AI for the different types of use cases. And so what we did is we, um, in, in working with and, and understanding how the partners were creating those tools from the data, we learned for those use cases how the data might be improved when it is uh, created in the future. David, one of the things about the Navy, again, with data-rich environment, or do you guys have a process by which you are picking use cases, looking at the data, and then what's the next step? Okay, we're ready, we're not quite ready. We, to be ready, we need a month, we need six months, we need six years. I, I wish it was that simple. <laughs> uh, so so a, couple, a couple things to, to just toss out here. I, I do think that when folks see that if their data is appropriately stewarded, um, they do get excited because now they can see what can I do with that, especially when can, I can combine that data set with that data set, all of a sudden, um, you know, your head just starts to explode with possibilities. So that, that's great that we're, we're exposing that to folks and they can see it. Um, the challenges that we have, again, lots of data, lots of, uh, lots of origination of data, be it sensor systems or decision systems uh, across a spectrum of applications, uh, where does that data go? Who retains that data? Um, who has access to that data? Um, we, we talk about data as if it was just in this, you know, 
There's a data ocean, a data lake, a data pond, sure. Uh, we have classification levels that we have to deal with. Uh, we have uh, data rights issues that we in government have to deal with when we contract for a product. And so we have to work our way through all of that to get to a place where the data that the Navy needs to do their job, to do its job, is available. We have great examples of that in some instances that have been going on for decades. Uh, I'm sure you're familiar, everybody's familiar with the, the hurricane tracking system that tells you where your hurricane's going. Um, that's, a, that's a result, a direct result of the Navy's interest in weather because weather affects ships <laughs> at sea. Just a and, little, just a little. And, and we care about that. So we need to get out of the way of those storms or understand where they're coming so we can be fully prepared. So for decades, we have been involved with significant models, uh, high-performance computing, the application of algorithms to help improve those models so we can predict the weather. Um, and that's, a, that's a, this continuous integration, continuous delivery set of things that applies not just to the Navy, but it applies to the civilian population because many of those models used in the, by the, the weather guessers today come from us. So, so we have great experience doing this, but we have not applied it across all the domains where it would, where it would apply. All right. Thanks. Well, you brought up some very important data, data access and as well as classification and, and where the data goes. We're going to probably hit upon that in the next segment. So let's take a quick break. You're listening to the discussion, the Artificial Intelligence Playbook for Government, sponsored by Data Robot on Federal News Network. The intelligence revolution is here. Is your agency ready? Transform with the leader in enterprise artificial intelligence, Data Robot. Data Robot delivers trusted AI technology and enablement around the globe. Data Robot makes AI for everyone a reality through end-to-end -end automation for building, deploying, and managing machine learning models without the need for code. Let Data Robot help you unlock the enormous potential of AI to help your agency speed up response times and take decisive action. Learn more at datarobot.com. That's datarobot.com. Welcome back. You're listening to the panel discussion, the Artificial Intelligence Playbook for Government, sponsored by Data Robot on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guests today are Sean Zurgis, the Division Chief for Digital Services and Solution Strategy at the General Services Administration, Dr. Gil Altrovich, the Director of Artificial Intelligence at the Department of Veterans Affairs, Rear Admiral David Hahn, the Chief of Naval Research at the Department of the Navy, and Eric Forsetter, the General Manager for Public Sector at Data Robot. Last segment, we talked a lot about this idea of data, cleaning up data, and then also kind of getting the use cases. All that to be successful really goes back to, again, the people. And I think whenever we have this conversation about technology, it's, that's one common theme is the people. Gil, lead us off VA. Uh, what, how are you guys kind of working through that workforce challenge, getting people ready to, to use and take advantage of these AI tools? Right, so actually uh, workforce uh, development in terms of uh, attracting uh, and retaining uh, talent in artificial intelligence is one of, uh, one of our uh, three challenges that we're uh, looking at um, and, and have, have been uh, working with uh, in the National Artificial Intelligence Institute. Uh, what we'd like to do is uh, build that AI uh, R&D capacity so that we're able to work and interact with industry uh, to be able to, to meet some of the challenges around uh, veteran uh, health. Um, and uh, so to do that, uh, we need to have um, some expertise within the VA to work with that data, to understand uh, which use cases and how that data uh, can work, uh, and to be able to leverage and interact with um, industry and other partners that have some of that leading edge uh, artificial intelligence technology that we might apply within uh, the department. Do you find it more difficult to attract or to retain? Because once you get some training, I think those data robot people may, may not, not accusing you, of course, Eric, but still still the good people away. Yeah, I think uh, there are different challenges in, in both of them. So uh, we have programs, for example, to help attract, such as the BD Step Big Data uh, program. Uh, it's a fellowship to help attract people. Um, and I think uh, we're thinking about uh, ways to help uh, retain people. Um, I think. Uh, uh, you know, they're, they're both issues. I think, uh, you know, once it's important to, you know, attract more, I think just seeing the mission, we're able to retain a number of people. People see that it, 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 it's, it's altruistic motive in terms of helping uh, veterans. And, and uh, you know, I know I, I, I see that, you know, meeting a veteran, we've got a number of veterans on our team. Um, and seeing that all of the data being the largest integrated healthcare system in the country, 
you know, having like 10 billion images and uh, having the largest genomic database linked to healthcare information in, in, the, in the world, actually, that all allows us to uh, serve that mission. So we have the capability and a great mission. I think that helps to uh, retain people. And so attracting is really the next thing. David, jump in. Sure, so a couple, a couple thoughts. Um, uh, I'm a submariner by trade. That's where I grew up. Every submariner understands damage control. Something bad happens on your submarine, your life depends on you knowing how to put the fire out, how to stop the flooding, whatever the casualty might be that hazards the ship and therefore hazards you. Um, I look at this uh, this potential of artificial intelligence the same way. Every single person in the service needs to be um, literate in those things that will make AI effective it's, if this will be transformative for the Navy and Marine Corps. Uh, so if the tools are going to be democratized, and we talked about that, that means I don't, I don't want to go out and hire special people. I want to just raise, raise the level of literacy inside the service for every single member to the point where it's just like damage control. That's how we conquer the cyber problem, right? Cyber hygiene matters. If every single service member understands how important it is for them to apply cyber hygiene, that's a winner, right? So AI, same way. So, so we're looking for partners that can, that can help teach us how to fish, if you will, in the world of artificial intelligence so we understand what applies at the right point and then we can bring our entire workforce up along those lines. Well, one of the things that the Navy has a big benefit over maybe some other agencies is you're always bringing in new recruits. And unfortunately for some of us who are now getting older, the younger, the younger people, uh, they have some inherent skill sets, whether it's AI or just the technology side of it. And that's probably a way that you, you have less time maybe attracting, but more time training. Well, so I think, I think it's, it's also interesting that the risk tolerance of, of people who might be a little bit younger than me, um, when interacting with a, with a computer system is very different, right? Yeah. Uh, their risk tolerance, so they're willing to go and play and learn and understand, we gotta give them the tools so they know that when they go and affect that algorithm, affect that data set, monkey with the model, that we understand how on the back end we're gonna get a predictive result or the result that's, that, that adds value or not. So huge challenge here, and 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 I'd like to like to get some Eric's thoughts yeah, on this because he had he had some great thoughts during the break. Yeah. Eric. So so thank you, appreciate it, everyone. Um, you know what we're finding is a lot of agencies are coming to us, and there's several that we're working with right now that, you know, to your point, they want to teach everybody to fish, right? They don't they don't want us to come in and say here's ten more contractors or go fi go hire ten more uh, big primes and we'll figure out your problem. What we're trying to do is train the entire agency. From the you know from a, a person who's a receptionist all the way up you know through the, the head of the agency or the admiral that they're able and they're AI enabled and they're AI smarter. Um, so we're working with agencies in that regard so that they have the right tool sets but also the right mentality of what to do and leverage your current resources. So also train those contractors right because they're important as well. It's not about hiring more people. It's about getting them up to the level that everybody else does. Um, and when you think about that, we're also doing things like training our veterans. So, you know, people who are coming in as new cadets, right, as new ensign, new seamen, um, we want those people to be trained on it so that, you know, when they exit the Army or exit the Navy or Marine Corps or Air Force, that they can go into the work, working force, whether it's for the VA or anywhere else, and they do it. We actually have one of our data scientists is a former uh, Army Special Operations Force person. He went through our training. And because of that, you know, he's become a data scientist. That's not to say everybody will become one, but if we can make people citizen data scientists within an agency, then we can answer the problems that are out there because 80% of the problems, or maybe 85%, can be automated and anyone can do them with the right tool set. That other 15%, yeah, we're gonna need that special data scientist, but we wanna leave that for them to do. We don't want them working on the stuff that could be automated. So it's important we teach them to fish. And we have some great programs around just training up the government staff today because that's where we have to start. We need a baseline because a lot of agencies come to us and say, we need AI. And we say, okay, where are you right now? And they don't even know where to start. And so it's starting in that regard. Sean, what's the reaction at GSA, whether internally or externally, as you guys have, have implemented some of those use cases around AI? Are people excited? Is there a little trepidation? 
Uh, <laughs> great question. A little bit of both. Yeah, right, great question. Um, you know, I, I kind of said it earlier, and I absolutely mean it. Uh, this is nothing new for GSA, right? New technologies, uh, everybody that's been in IT long enough, this is what we do, this is why we're here, um, this is what gets excited, <laughs> the new stuff coming in. Um, we look at, um, from the folks that are there, just like uh, I think David touched on earlier, you can't just bring in a whole bunch of new folks, right? You've, you've got staffing that's there, they're well-versed, they understand the use cases. When you break down AI or ML, there's two big components, right? You get your data, and you get the logic and the algorithm. It takes two of those. The data piece is, while not an easy lift, right? That's an easy one to identify. It can shine a light on it. This is where it's coming in. This is where I'm keeping it. This is the structure I need. I need to make these tweaks so I can actually feed it into an ML. Well, the logic piece, it's a little more complicated, right? Because that's, that's the human factor that, that we're trying to digitize, to take that thought process, that business decision, that action or activity that needs to happen on the back end of that. That's the real heavy lift, and that's the hardest one to identify. And to fill that training gap, that's not bringing in new people, because those people, true story, right? You have to bring some new folks in with, with talent. The folks that are there that best understand your processes are the one that built that enterprise, they built those business processes. They're the ones that can help you refine that machine learning algorithm and that logic. Which I think goes back to what Eric was yeah. saying, Eric. Yeah, and to, Sean, to Sean's point, you, know, you have these people, these analysts, these cybersecurity experts, that know what to do. And so just like in cybersecurity, you know, they know what anomalous detection looks like, but if they could feed it into a machine instead of having like a band-aid for every time that there's a cyber breach and then you go to a cybersecurity company and 30 days later, like here, we've plugged it. What if these people were actually in the front lines who are, who are used to all the data, they understand it, what if we train them to be able to put together a model themselves or give them a way to automate it? That's, and then have a data scientist look at it and say, yep, that's right, we're good. We could save thousands of hours you know, uh, of manpower and cybersecurity breaches if they're able to do that. And we work with agencies on that regard too. So it's important, and it doesn't have to just be cyber. It could be you know, for something at the Navy, it could be something at the VA, but on that cyber point, I'm sure you know, you'd love to see things faster um, you know, and, you know, and ground zero type, hey, we, we saw an alert today and we st we're plugging it as opposed to waiting for a, a vendor to fix it. How, how often, let me just real quick, how, how often are models reusable? If, if, if GSA has a model, could VA use it? Absolutely. I mean, for, yeah. for a very similar case processing or whatever? Yes, I think uh, one of the things that's really interesting, and we, we've been involved in a number of these, uh, creating these AI playbooks, uh, uh, for example, and uh, we find that uh, some of the use cases that are developed in the VA apply in other places, and some of the uh, some of the models in other uh, organizations are applying to us. In particular, there's a, a, a number of uh, that, that's one reasons why we're involved in, for example, working with the uh, National Science Foundation on the, the um, on this program around uh, trustworthy AI. Actually, that'll uh, involve a number of different uh, players around the country working together. Uh, on, on solving that and, it's be, and, and enabling models that can be used across different uh, environments. David, jump in. Yeah, I think this, uh, this notion of trust is probably the most important thing for us to talk about uh, because as you try to lift models from one organization to the next, um, if, the, if the humans uh, in, in, in our lines of business, high consequence, people's health, finances, safety, war fighting, if, if that high consequence business is not served well by the application of that model because we didn't understand the model or we didn't match it right to the data set, that, that's going to that's gonna get us to another AI winter, right? <laughs> so, so I think it's really important that, that we work through this across the agencies, across the industry and government team to, to get ourselves in a good place and not rush headlong into a set of applications that that don't make a lot of sense. So, so I applaud the efforts to work uh, to work in this trustworthy, transparent AI. When, when, when was the first AI winter? Uh, that kind of worries me. I think I may have missed it. Uh, that, that, that was, I think it was in the 60s. In the 60s. Yeah, it was in the 60s, uh, uh, first AI winter, then the second AI, and, I, and right. maybe, maybe we got one. Maybe, maybe we're doing okay here. Before my time, I'll, I'll just have to say that. Please. Fair enough. Uh, the trust issue, I think, is a really important piece, too. And, and, and Sean, let me turn back to you on this, because one of the things that GSA, the way you guys work with internal and external customers, the way you work with other agencies, whether it's VA or Navy, but also with contractors and how you guys serve the citizens, all that, that trust piece has got to be, uh, has to run across all the governance issues, all the data issues, all, all the issues we've talked about today. Absolutely. And I think we've set a, a, a fairly good precedence with our, our open data policies and our practices where 
to the maximum extent possible, right? We're gonna put that code out there, we're gonna put that data out there, we're gonna make it available to the average citizen. You don't have to do a FOIA request, go right here. I've made it available. All our buildings data, for example, um, leasing data, contract awards, all that stuff is readily available. The trick is right now we're back to data, making decisions, doing analytics, AI, ML feeds into that. The worst case scenario, we'll go to the, the far extreme, right? Worst case scenario is a black box. There's a formula out there, something's being done, some decision or recommendation is being made, nobody's aware of it. Now, if I'm a, a small business owner, veteran-owned business, minority-owned business, and I'm relying, my business is relying on some Fed in GSA to make a decision on an award, I want to trust that whatever ALML tool they're using in the back end is feeding them good information. How am I going to trust that, right? I'm no AIML expert. What? We're going to be open and we're going to be transparent. We're going to document where we're using AIML, again, to the maximum extent possible. What's the rationalization behind the algorithm? I'm not going to paste this long paragraph long algorithm out there in the public, you know, because, you know, in common language that people can understand, which goes back to the common terminology and language, not just internally within our staff and with our, our leadership and our business lines, but with the public. Understand how we're using this, why we're using it. This is the data and decisions we're getting out of this, and this is how it impacts your transactions. So what I hear you saying is it's not going to be a federal register notice that's going to be 45 pages that nobody understands. <laughs> just, for you, sir. just for me, yes. <laughs> Gil, jump in. Um, yeah, so I think there's uh, a number of things that we're looking in um, in this area. Um, in um, So one of the aspects, as I mentioned before, with this collaboration with uh, NSF uh, around trustworthy AI uh, to enable a number of different uh, avenues there. Uh, we're also looking uh, at exposing a number of different uh, data sets uh, smaller data sets that um, that uh, that are in limited data sets so that we can establish uh, partnerships with industry um, so that they can um, build and understand an understanding of the type of data that that we have um, and so that they can build um, trustworthy uh, models that really look at the type of uh, information and the types of uh, use cases that the veterans uh, would make the biggest difference for veterans. All right. I know there's plenty more to talk about, but unfortunately, we're out of time for today. So uh, let me thank my guests. Sean Zurgis is the Division Chief for Digital Services and Solution Strategy at the General Services Administration. Dr. Gail Altrovich is the Director of the Artificial Intelligence at the Department of Veterans Affairs. Rear Admiral David Hahn is the Chief of Naval Research at the Department of Navy. And Eric Forsetter is the General Manager for Public Sector at DataRobot. Gentlemen, thank you so much for taking the time today. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you for listening to the panel discussion, The Artificial Intelligence Playbook for Government, sponsored by DataRobot on Federal News Network.